Welcome to Bandcamp. My name is Dan. And I'm Jennifer. And this is the podcast where we read banned books to try to find out why they were banned in the first place. And this season, we're reading Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, One Passage at a Time Out Loud. And then we're going to talk about why it could possibly be banned just from that one little segment. That being said, everything that Jennifer is about to read could possibly be a spoiler if you have never read the book. So if you're cool with that, we're going to carry on in a second. If that is not good with you, jump over to episode one of season two and catch up. Sounds good. Thanks, Dan. And before we begin, how about a quick summary of the last episode we did? Yeah, it was, uh, well, what a fantastic episode. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Now things are happening. Things are happening. Montague is on the run. Mechanical Hound, a brand new super mechanical hound with extra super awesome smelling was dropped via helicopter on Montague's front yard. And now he is making his way, mechanical hound style, to Montague. And Montague was at Faber's, and now now he's leaving Faber's, and he's on the run. That's really all you need to know, I think. Yeah, he's living the hobo life, out there on the rails. I have that hobo music in my head. (laughs) I think I really want to be a hobo. Oh, no. We'll never see you again, Dan. I'm a hobo. I have a microphone, audio stuff so I can do a podcast. I keep my podcast equipment in my bindle. Your bindle? A bindle is a simple and portable bundle of belongings, typically carried by a hobo on a stick or pole over the shoulder. It was a makeshift bag made by tying up a collection of items, usually clothes and personal items, in a cloth or sack. The bindle was a symbol of the hobo's transient lifestyle and self-sufficiency as it allowed them to carry their possessions with ease as they moved from place to place. Bindle. 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 Bindle? It's bindle. Agree to disagree. So with that being said, let's jump back in. Montag ran. He could feel the hound, like autumn, come cold and dry and swift, like a wind that didn't stir the grass, that didn't jar windows or disturb leaf shadows on the white sidewalks as it passed. The hound did not touch the world. It carried its silence with it. So you could feel the silence building up a pressure behind you all across town. Montag felt that pressure rising and ran. Can you imagine just walking down the sidewalk and seeing that guy walking down the sidewalk at the same time, that hound? <laughs> Me with my dog petting obsession, it would be, it, it, that, that is how I will die. And a- I will die happily that way. He stopped for breath on his way to the river to peer through the dimly lit windows of wakened houses and saw the silhouettes of people inside watching their parlor walls, and there on the walls the mechanical hound, a breath of neon vapor, spidered along, here and gone, here and gone. Now at Elm Terrace, Lincoln, Oak, Park, and up the alley toward Faber's house. Go past, thought Montag. Don't stop. Go on. Don't turn in. On the parlor wall, Faber's house, with its sprinkler system pulsing in the air, the hound paused quivering. No, Montag held to the windowsill. This way. Here. Here, boy. (laughs) (laughs) The procaine needle flicked out and in, out and in. A single clear drop of the stuff of dreams fell from the needle as it vanished in the hound's muzzle. Stuff of dreams. The stuff of dreams. (laughs) That kind of makes me want some. 
Montag held his breath like a double fist in his chest. The mechanical hound turned and plunged away from Faber's house, down the alley again. Montag snapped his gaze to the sky. The helicopters were closer, a great blowing of insects to a single light source. With an effort, Montag reminded himself again that this was no fictional episode to be watched on his run to the river. It was in actuality his own chess game he was witnessing, move by move. So he's literally peeping through people's windows so he can watch his own chase on TV and he's getting into it and he has to remind himself that, hey, this hound that you're mm-hmm. watching on TV, he's coming up behind you. Move it! It's ac- this. Yes, it's actually happening. This is not a TV show. Crazy. It is crazy. He shouted to give himself the necessary push away from the last house window and the fascinating seance going on in there. Hell, and he was away and gone. The alley, a street, the alley, a street, and the smell of the river. Leg out, leg down, leg out and down. 20 million Montags running soon if the cameras caught him. 20 million Montags running, running like an ancient flickery keystone comedy. Cops, robbers... Chasers and the chased, hunters and the hunted. He had seen it a thousand times. Behind him now, 20 million silently baying hounds ricocheted across parlors, three cushion shooting from right to wall to center wall to left wall, gone, right wall, center wall, left wall, gone. Montag jammed his seashell in his ear. Police, this is the uh, seashell speaking. Police suggest entire population in the Elm Terrace area do as follows. Everyone in every house in every street, open a front or rear door or look from the windows. The fugitive cannot escape if everyone in the next minute looks from his house. Ready. Of course, why hadn't they done it before? Why in all the years hadn't this game been tried? Everyone up, everyone out. He couldn't be missed. The only man running alone in the night city. The only man proving his legs. At the count of ten now. One, two. he felt the city turn to its thousands of doors four the people sleepwalking in their hallways five he felt their hands on the doorknobs the smell of the river was cool and like a solid rain his throat was burnt rust and his eyes were wept dry with running he yelled as if this yell would jet him on fling him to the last hundred yards six seven eight So many exclamation marks and all the counting. You'll know that I am called the count. Ah, ah, ah. Six, seven, eight. The doorknobs turned on 5,000 doors. Nine. He ran out away from the last row of houses on a slope leading down to a solid moving blackness. Ten. The doors opened. He imagined thousands on thousands of faces peering into yards, into alleys, and into the sky. Faces hid by curtains, pale, night-frightened faces, like gray animals peering from electric caves. Faces with gray, colorless eyes, gray tongues, and gray thoughts looking out through the numb flesh of the face. Wow, if that doesn't paint a dead picture, I don't know what does. It's literally like an army of zombies looking out their door. Yeah, like brain numb. That is scary. I don't like that. I mean, humans can can be very frightening, and then to have like a mindless mob of gray goons (laughs) a conspiracy of gray goons but he was at the river he touched it just to be sure it was real he waded in and stripped in darkness to the skin 
splashed his body, arms, legs, and head with raw liquor, drank it, and snuffed some up his nose. Is that a thing you can do? Wait a minute. I, what are they doing in the future? Bradbury knew about this, so this had to be going on in the 50s. Okay. He waded in and stripped in the darkness to the skin, splashed his body, arms, legs, and head with raw liquor, drank it in, snuffed some up his nose. This guy is a madman. This guy is a he, this guy is a partier. I wonder if all firefighters, do you think all firefighters in the future are just like they're nuts? Playing poker, snuff sniffing up liquor. You know what? It's because they have all that kerosene all the time. They're they, I think Are they kerosene huffers? Oh. These I think you're right. I think you're right. These guys are all huffing up the kerosene. Is that, how, is that how you'd say it? Huff it up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad boy. Then he dressed in Faber's old clothes and shoes. Oh, now I get why he needed the stink clothes. So he would smell like Faber. Oh. He, he brought the suitcase of Faber's man smell, old man smell, which so, apparently is very strong. If, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, it smells like Ben Gay, I'd imagine, if my dad's smell is any indication. Um, yeah. Now I picture, you know, because Montague's a young guy, strapping, right? He, he works out. He's a firefighter. He's got the muscles, right? Imagine sure. him taking his clothes off, stripping down, taking a couple hits of booze through the nose, grabs that suitcase. I'm going to get into some new clothes. Grabs those uh, old man pants. They come right up to the nipples. I think the dog's still going to get them. And now you can't run because you got old man hard shoes on. <laughs> he tossed his own clothing into the river and watched it swept away. Then, holding the suitcase, he walked out in the river until there was no bottom and he was swept away in the dark. He was 300 yards downstream when the hound reached the river. Overhead, the great racketing fans of the helicopters hovered. A storm of light fell upon the river and Montag dived under the great illumination as if the sun had broken the clouds. He felt the river pull him further on its way into darkness. Then the light switched back to the land. The helicopters swerved over the city again as if they had picked up another trail. They were gone. The hound was gone. Now there was only the cold river and Montag floating in a sudden peacefulness, away from the city and the lights and the chase, away from everything. I think he made it. I think he made it. He's out there in the peaceful river floating in the darkness. He felt as if he had left a stage behind and many actors. See, there's another thing. I told you earlier when he was talking about how this, it was no fictional episode. Oh. I think Bradbury used that on purpose and now he's putting in he felt as if he had left a stage behind and many actors it's interesting. i think he's being he's being very interesting with this language here what is real and what is fiction and i know bradbury loved books like that's why he wrote this yeah and so the idea of the characters coming to life i think i think bradbury like he saw that in germany they started with burning books they ended up with burning people yeah like you've heard that yeah, before yeah correct i mean i'm not saying of course, humans are more valuable than books, but there's an interesting idea that, you know, books, they, they are so like real, like the characters in them are so real to people. Yeah. They're almost like real people and they're like your friends. They're like your friends. I really like what he did there with that language. 
He felt as if he had left a stage behind and many actors. He felt as if he had left the great seance and all the murmuring ghosts. He was moving from an unreality that was frightening into a reality that was unreal because it was new. The black land slid by and he was going into the country among the hills. For the first time in a dozen years, the stars were coming out above him in great processions of wheeling fire. He saw a great juggernaut of stars form in the sky and threatened to roll over and crush him. He floated on his back when the valets filled and sank. The river was mild and leisurely, going away from the people who ate shadows for breakfast and steam for lunch and vapors for supper. Oh my God, if that was my diet, I'd be so hungry, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> what did you have today? Oh, I had some shadows, I had some steam, and I had some vapors. <laughs> The river was very real. It held him comfortably and gave him the time at last, the leisure, to consider this month, this year, and a lifetime of years. He listened to his heart slow. His thoughts stopped rushing with his blood. He saw the moon low in the sky now, the moon there, and the light of the moon caused by what? By the sun, of course. And what lights the sun? Its own fire. And the sun goes on, day after day, burning and burning. The sun and time. The sun and time and burning. <laughs> burning. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just, it's a thing. It's a thing he does. The river bobbled him along gently. Burning. The sun and every clock on the earth. Got it. It all came together and became a single thing in his mind. After a long time of floating on the land and a short time of floating in the river, he knew why he must never burn again in his life. I thought he already knew that. I, th I, I thought he was done with that chapter of his life. The sun burned every day. It burned time. The world rushed in a circle and turned on its axis, and time was busy burning the years and the people anyway, without any help from him. So if he burned things with the firemen and the sun burned time, that meant that everything burned. Thank God. We do not have a sound effect we play when the word burning happens because my <laughs> my finger would cramp. It would burn. <laughs> I'd have a burning feeling so in my stupid. finger. One of them had to stop burning. The sun wouldn't. Thank you for your time. One of them had to stop burning. The sun wouldn't, certainly. So it looked as if it had to be Montag and the people he had worked with until a few short hours ago. Somewhere the saving and putting away had to begin again and someone had to do the saving and keeping, one way or another, in books, in records, in people's heads, any way at all so long as it was safe, free from moths, silverfish, rust and dry rot, and men with matches. The world was full of burning of all types and sizes. Now the guild of the asbestos weaver must open shop very soon. What? I was with him until that last sentence again. Why does he throw in these weird sentences at the end of his paragraphs? A lot of people could say that if the World Trade Center had asbestos, it wouldn't have melted, okay? Oh, damn it. It's so good until that. And then it's like I can't help but snicker a little. It sounds like a Dio song or a Judas Priest song. The Guild of the Asbestos Weaver! God. <laughs> if we have a Patreon, should that be what our people... Join the Guild of the Asbestos Weaver! <laughs> He felt his heel bump land, touch pebbles and rocks, scrape sand. The river had moved him toward shore. He looked in at the great black creature without eyes or light, without shape, with only a size that went a thousand miles, without wanting to stop him, 
with its grass hills and forests that were waiting for him. He hesitated to leave the comforting flow of the water. He expected the hound there. Suddenly the trees might blow under a great wind of helicopters. But there was only the normal autumn wind high up, going by like another river. Why wasn't the hound running? Why had the search veered inland? Montag listened. Nothing. Millie, he thought. All this country here. Listen to it. Nothing and nothing. So much silence. Millie, I wonder how you'd take it. Would you shout, shut up, shut up, Millie? And he was sad. Aw. Missing his wife. Millie was not here and the hound was not here. But the dry smell of hay blowing from some distant field put Montag on the land. He remembered a farm he had visited when he was very young. One of the rare few times he discovered that somewhere behind the seven veils of unreality, beyond the walls of parlors and beyond the tin moat of the city, cows chewed grass and pigs sat in warm ponds at noon and dogs barked after white sheep on a hill. Now, the dry smell of hay, the motion of the waters, made him think of sleeping in fresh hay in a lonely barn away from the loud highways, behind a quiet farmhouse and under an ancient windmill that whirred like the sound of the passing years overhead. He lay in the high barn loft all night, listening to distant animals and insects and trees, the little motions and stirrings. During the night, he thought, below the loft, he would hear a sound like feet moving, perhaps. He would tense and sit up. The sound would move away. He would lie back and look out the loft window very late in the night and see the lights go out in the farmhouse itself until a very young and beautiful woman would sit in an unlit window, braiding her hair. It would be hard to see her, but her face would be like the face of the girl so long ago and his past now, so very long ago, the girl who had known the weather and never been burned by the fireflies. The girl who had known what dandelions meant rubbed off on your chin. Then she would be gone from the warm window and appear again upstairs in her moon-whitened room. And then to the sound of death, the sound of the jets cutting the sky in two black pieces beyond the horizon. He would lie in the loft, hidden and safe, watching those strange new stars over the rim of the earth, fleeing from the soft color of dawn. End of passage. Well, you know what? That's a nice way to end the segment because, well, I mean, he made it. He's relaxing tomorrow after a good night's sleep, like so many things, so many of us, you know, we're a little bit lost. Wake up. Tomorrow's a new day. I wonder what he'll do. Will he keep running or will he uh, just knock on the farm door and say, you need some help slopping the pigs? Because I am all in. I think he's going to try and make it to uh, St. Louis. I think he's going to try and find his tribe of scary book people out there. And they're going to try and have some kind of a, you know, resist an underground. In order to do that, though, Jennifer, you need money. And the only way to get money is to join the guild of the asbestos weavers. It's time for PPP, problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter? Nothing at all in this was banworthy. I cannot even think of a tiny, tiny thing. I can't think of anything. I, wasn't there like, oh, the, he said hell. There was a, a little blip of a swear, swear word. Oh, hell. Oh, oh, hell. <laughs> Why did I say it like that? <laughs> hey there, hobo, where are you going on that there train if it starts Thank you for listening. Uh, it was our pleasure to serve you by reading this book to you. We had a great time. 
and please, I must beg you to always remember, stay lit and defy the ban. Was that another one of your AI-generated end-of-podcast lines? Please please say yes. (laughs) Well, I sure as hell didn't write it.